Quick question from me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money, and this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension. Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does, and plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important, from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. Anyway, if you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk so he can explain more. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk. you can change who you are. It's not gonna to happen tomorrow. But if you consistently show up for yourself, there is a guarantee that you will actually get a payoff. Dr. Grace Lorden is an associate professor at the London School of Economics, an author of the book, Think Big. Take small steps and build the future you want. It's all about how to make a big change in your life that actually sticks. Because making a big change is hard. If you don't know me, I started a YouTube channel around three years ago. I didn't have any experience, but I wanted to help people go on the same journey that I had with getting my financial life together. And if you don't know about my journey, well, just take a listen to the episode that we did on debt. So whether you're struggling with how to change your life, what steps to actually put in place, or you just want to learn how to be that little bit better, keep listening. We don't plan what changes we're going to make, so we get dragged. If we compare our habits, we either set ourselves up for success or failure. And to get better habits, we do need to slow down. We focus on the journey and the steps and, how, and kind of how, how to move people towards goals. But we never talk about these kind of human skills that make us much more likely to get there. One thing that people don't do is... I'm going to call you Grace because I feel like you, I know you personally now after listening to the book. You, you spoke to my soul. Definitely Grace. Definitely yeah. Grace. I just want to start with a quote from the book that, that I think a lot of people can resonate with, which is, it can be daunting to launch later than your peers. Mm -hmm. I started my YouTube channel when I was about 31 and I felt my whole 20s that I was behind everyone in life. I mean... I know you feel Did like that. <laughs> <laughs> you should if you don't. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even pretend that I don't. Yeah, I definitely do. Like, you know, you see your friends buying houses and you're like, oh, I need to buy a house. You see your friends having kids, you're like, I need to have a kid. And so, yeah, you always kind of see yourself as behind other people, no so, matter what, it, what, what your status is. Exactly. And I think everyone feels that way. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how to launch yourself and your, your like goals for thinking big and what that means. Can we just start first of all by, you know, saying when people want to make a big change in their life, where do they start? I think the first place to start is to really sit down and imagine what you would do if there was no constraints. So I think most people will put constraints on themselves. They have bills to pay, they have children to take care of, they're in university, they can't possibly quit. That's what their parents wanted them to do. So there'll always be a reason why you can't do something that you really, really want to do. And I think it's a really nice thought experiment to say, okay, all those things exist and they'll come back later, but what would I do if it all worked out? Where do I really imagine myself? And, and here some people will get stuck because they just won't know what they want to do ultimately. So then the thing to do is to think about, okay, I might know the big dream that I want, but still I stay in blue sky thinking and think, what are the tasks that I like doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Like the two of you 
like talking to each other. It might have seemed like a silly thing to write down 10 years ago, but now you can actually build a whole career doing this on the, on the Making Money, Money podcast. What are the tasks that I really enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis? And then figure out what job will allow you to do those tasks more regularly. And I think once you have something set in your mind about what you want to do, it's very easy then to put small steps in place to allow you to get you there over the medium term. It might take months or it might take a couple of years, but nonetheless, you will get to a much better place than you would had you constantly stayed within those constraints that you put yourself into. What does a big goal look like? Can you give us an example? Well, it will vary from person to person. So for some people, it might be creating a podcast that's really successful, like making money. For others, it might be doing a degree to become a lawyer. For others, it might be scaling their startup into a place where it's actually much more sustainable with respect to cash flows. So for everybody, it will be different. But I think the kind of two things that it has in common is one, a person should imagine themselves doing it and really be excited about doing it. So the tasks should be enjoyable. You know, life is short, so spending time doing something that you don't like is is really a bad idea. Um, But secondly, I think it should also make people financially secure. And, and, And what that amount of money is, will vary from person to person. But nonetheless, I do think financial security, you know, is something that's linked to happiness, lower levels of stress. So ultimately, it's something worth aiming for. So for me, two things. Think about how much money you actually need to survive. And then think about something that you can can get you there doing something that you love doing. Should money be the goal? It depends on the person. So I think, you know, for some people, they will say, I really just want to have lots of wealth in order to retire when I'm 40. And I think that's a laudable goal. But I like the idea that retire at 40 is is in there because it means that ultimately a person won't be a slave to the job that they're doing in order simply to generate money. I think for people who are generating money and not enjoying it, or it's not giving them freedom, I think the second part for me is much more important as it is for the majority of people. I think that they should actually check where their values are and that what they're actually doing is aligned with their values. Um, Again, I, I say that life is short, which is a really important thing to kind of say at the start of the new year, setting yourself up just to aim for money can set yourself up for a very long term misery. And then at the end, you say, you know, what was it all about? Yeah, I, I was speaking to a friend last night who's a financial advisor and he came to me and he said he's got a decision at the minute where he's like, I can sell my, my client book at the minute and I can set up my own financial advice firm, yeah. which I think he thinks is quite innovative and would disrupt the industry or he, he's been offered a job on a hundred grand a year working with high net worth individuals. And he was like, should I take the safe money or, or, or do the other thing? He's already got a fair bit of money. Yeah. And I was like, at your point, it's legacy, right? It's like, what gets you out of bed? And it's not, yeah. you, you, money does a lot for you at, at lower levels. And then once you cross a point, actually it becomes more about the passion side of things. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So if you look at the happiness literature, the link between money and happiness becomes quite weak after about 25,000 pounds. Really? Yeah, so it's really, really weak. But there's two problems with the literature. I think the first is that if you, um, I'm, you're probably going to push the button, which is, which is fair <laughs> enough. But if you identify these effects, so if basically the researchers actually look at samples and they don't take into account that some people, like your friend perhaps, are working extraordinarily long hours and jobs they don't like in order to make that money, it's going to bias the results. It would give us kind of, it would give us kind of weird results. But secondly, it doesn't take into account that, you know, there is a life course. So it might be for 10 years of your life that you work incredibly hard in a job that you don't particularly enjoy. And like your friend, that now you have a choice do I set up on my own or do I continue as I am and that choice is really worth an incredible an incredible amount of money so every day people like us will trade off do I do something now that I really don't like doing to give me financial freedom in the future or do I follow my dream right now perhaps taking more risk and, and not necessarily having having that financial freedom and I think the problem is is that 
people who are actually thinking about quitting in the long run really get clear about when that quitting is. Because I know so many people who end up being 50, 60, 70 and saying, oh, you know, where, where did my life go? I kind of got caught in this hamster wheel going around and around, always talking about someday when I go traveling, someday when I set up my business. And for me, doing that in the medium term rather than the long term is becoming more important, not just for me personally, but I think for, for everybody. I think... It sounds amazing, but <laughs> give me the money. <laughs> in practice, like we've got bills to pay. I've yes. got, as you know, I've got parking tickets. I've got, I've put way too much money in crypto. So I need to have some money to put in other things. Although crypto's on the way up. Look at your t-shirt. you got crypto this, puppy on your t-shirt. This, this is him. This is me on a t-shirt for all the YouTube viewers. Um, my, you're welcome. Um, my point is, most people don't have the luxury to work and pursue your dream at the same time. So you said there's a lot of constraints. How do people, if you want to make the change, what's the first step to kind of get going and like get around these constraints? Because obviously if you be like, I need to pay rent every month, I can't just quit They're my job. They're genuine constraints. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. are. I can't just quit my job and you not pay You can't just go, rent. oh, you're overthinking yeah. it. And I think one of the things in Think Big that I say is just don't quit your job. You shouldn't quit your job in the beginning. You should really have forged the path and be on the way to your destination before you do that. So you shouldn't wake up and say, oh, Grace is telling me I hate my job. Now I'm going to quit it. And now let's find out, find something to do. What I ask people to do actually is to weekly dedicate at least 90 minutes to moving yourself towards your goal. Networking is something as well. People, if you look at the luck and what makes people lucky and get lucky breaks, um, regardless of their privilege in life, it's usually linked to a person or people who they meet who remember them and remember them for an opportunity. Yeah. And it's interesting, often when we think about making money, we do think about investing in crypto or in funds or in index or choosing a, choosing a company. But one of the biggest investments that we can make is actually in ourselves. So the value that you create and put out in the world is unique to you. You're probably not going to make yourself extraordinarily financially secure just by picking stocks. I think you probably have much more um, better odds investing in yourself and saying, what can I put out into the world that's a product or a service that I can charge people for that will really add value to them that's unique to me. And then you're not competing with you know other people who are, who are betting... Uh, betting against you yeah my, my channel grows at 100 percent a year every yeah. year since i started the humble average, brag, the humble average brag. Return. i'm no one i'm no one special we'll get into my weak little brain in a minute but the average return <laughs> of the stock market's nine percent a year exactly so you know yeah. like compound my channel at three years and it, it's a lifetime of stock market yeah. returns yeah. but people just don't back themselves mm. you know you, you're saying like invest in yourself i just don't think people how do they get over that you know well, I mean, I think the reason that people don't back themselves is because we are very bad in the UK and in every other country at teaching kids skills that really matter when they're in school, right? So if, if I could change the curriculum in primary school and secondary school, I would probably talk to kids about kind of two things, financial acumen, so that they're kind of savvy about what's going to come later, which is what you cover on this podcast, and also kind of instant gratification. While, you know, some things can actually feel quite good in the moment, you know, like watching those cartoons if you're if you're a child, for example, doing your homework will pay dividends in the future, even even if it's boring and, and life would get easier if the homework actually mattered to the kids, yeah. right? So if they could actually see and you could tell them a story about how it matters, how it matters in life. And I think that's fundamentally what we're trying to do with adults is we're trying to say, look, at any moment in your life, you can change who you are. It's not going to happen tomorrow. So you have to manage your own expectations. It's not going to happen on Tuesday. It's not going to happen next week. But if you consistently show up for yourself, there is a guarantee that you will actually get a payoff, provided you couple that with getting out meeting people and telling them what you're doing and how you're actually showing up for yourself. I think, my time. 
You just, you just I, had a go. I know, but I would have loved it, son. I'm going to give you a pound in you, aren't they? <laughs> Bitcoin in you. Can you actually push the pull of yeah, my yeah. Um, I really like the point about networking because I was, when I was working in crypto earlier this year, I was looking for a job because I just had a kid and I was looking, applying for lots of, thank you. I was applying for loads of jobs, um, doing interviews, doing two, not getting the job. And then the job I've got now, the someone I used to work with, She's a CEO and she's like, Timmy, I really like working with you before. Do you want to come over to my new company? So the network thing is definitely like really powerful. Yeah. In another, in another way, this podcast, so I could earn more money being sat at home making videos on my YouTube channel because it's a bigger, bigger reach. But I've, this sitting in front of people has done far more for my like wider career as a, a creator. Like I've had more opportunities through just sitting across a table yeah. with people um, through that networking, like loads of non-tangible benefits and values with people I've met. Yeah. You know. And I think the key is as well, you know, when you meet somebody and this happens to me a lot, when I meet people, they ask me for something as soon as I meet them. So they'll say, oh, Grace, can you help with this? And if it's easy, I'll do it. But if it's difficult and I'm busy, it, it does tend to kind of, I don't really, I don't really know that person. So I'm not necessarily paying attention. So I think when you're networking, really pay attention to meeting people, not asking yet. And then realizing that there's people now who are out there who know who you are and who will speak about you when you're not in the room, which is positive. And that will pay dividends in the future in the same way that, you know, our, our, when we put money into a savings account, we get compounding. You don't have to be 100% better than somebody else. It's just marginally better because when people choose a venture to back, when people choose somebody to hire, when people choose somebody to promote, they look for who's the best, but very often the differences between candidates are very, very minor. So all you're trying to do is like score that one extra goal basically, or do that one extra training beyond everyone else. You say in the book, yeah, there's a really important thing of, like you say, the difference between number one and number 1.1 even, it's not even two, it's like, yeah. is massive over is. a lifetime and they will get all of the riches essentially, all of the yep. the life opportunities. Yes. And I think as well, you know, in the book, I, I have tactics because, you know, if you're a woman, if you're not a white man from a privileged background what? in the UK, things will be, <laughs> things, things will, but, but odds do get stacked against you yeah. more. And, you know, mm. we talked about kind of luck and networking and privilege. Well, if you're, I was, you know, I was born into a working class background. I didn't have networks of people who were private equity people or venture people or who were, you know, politicians. And then you, you know, the people will always say, if you come from that kind of a background, you need to work twice as hard. And there is some truth in that because you do actually have to start from kind of zero generating your networks. But I don't think you should be scared of it because now, thanks to, you know, the, the internet and thanks to kind of different groups and communities, it's really easy to connect with people. So if there's somebody out there who's kind of listening, you know, coming from a background where their parents don't have connections, like you might if you're coming from a privileged background, really just get out there. There's loads of people who want to meet you. There's loads of groups who are there who are set up to actually give you access access to things that you might not necessarily have and use them really just go for it okay i want to get into the the book now so you talk about system one and system two thinking is it is it yeah. dr daniel is it kahneman yes is how you pronounce yeah. it? he's like the the og of your space he's released a, the the landmark papers and stuff initially that kind of got the ball rolling on yeah so he has a book um called thinking fast and slow yeah. which is a bestseller it's actually interesting on kindle because even though it's a bestseller people rarely get past about page 30 because it's a really really big book and the way it's written is really towards academics rather than towards kind of making it uh, readily accessible for an, um, a general it's audience a good title. it's a good title and in it the lessons are really good so it basically talks about our two thinking styles one fast 
and one slow. Um, fast is system one, and that's when you're on unconscious. You're not you're not paying attention. It's your gut feeling. You're making lots of decisions. And the other is very, very slow, very, very deliberate. And I guess I'll ask you all, how much time do you think in your waking hours that you spend in your fast brain where you're unconscious, you're making decisions without really weighing up costs, benefits, and risks? I reckon it's going to be like high 90s. You know, I think I, I'd imagine there's probably 1% of my day where I actually think about what I'm doing. <laughs> no, no, seriously. No, I mean, apart from, apart yeah, from yeah, today, yeah. apart from today, and, but you know, a lot of it is routine, isn't it? Yeah. I'm getting yep. up out of bed. I'm doing all of my daily activities. Yeah. Even, even when I'm like editing a video, there's a flow state there that is, uh, I'm not necessarily aware of what I'm doing. Yep. I drive a car, I drive for an hour. I don't even know yeah. where I've gone. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, how did I get here? And I'm just driving you should, along. Yeah. You should be focusing there. <laughs> yeah. But actually like- Especially on the motorway, I switch I've been planning a YouTube out. channel, yeah, do you know what I mean? I like, switch yeah. out. Yeah, so yeah, I, I would I would say 90% of the time. Yeah, so I mean, you're spot on. So it's between 80 and 95% of the time. We're, we're unconscious. We're not necessarily paying attention to what we do. And that's why habits become so important. And that's why paying attention to where your attention goes is so important. So what are you actually paying attention to? So, you know, if I was out in the street today and somebody rudely overtook me in my car, do I react? Do I give that a lot of attention or am I able to kind of brush that off and go about my day? Am I giving attention to the things that matter? You know, the content for the for the YouTube today so that the audience actually gets something something useful out of it. So everything kind of in um, chapters two, three and four in the book are really taking, you know, for granted that we do spend 80 to 95% of our time in this kind of habit-driven mode. And one of the habits that you're doing for um, today to show up for yourself now, but more than that, to show up for your future self, which is someone who we forget. So you'll think of each other, but you won't think about yourself in five years time necessarily. Um, whereas what I want people to do is to think about their future self as a sister or a brother in a way that they invest in them and that they set them up for success. There was an exercise of a list five years back and five years forward. Yes. Can you just explain that? Because I think this is kind of leading off what you were just saying. Yeah, so it can be cool to go into a room um, and to ask people on one side of the room to write down the changes that they made in the last five years um, and how they don't necessarily recognize themselves today. And then on the other side of the room to ask them, what are the changes that you're going to make in the next five years um, that will actually change who you'll be in five years time? And what's really interesting, and I do this with people who are at the London School of Economics in executive classes to want to make a change in their lives. You get very little answers for five years in the uh, going forward, but you get lots of um, answers for five years in the past. And, and there's two ways to think about that. Either our past selves are overachievers and our future selves are underachievers. But I think what more likely happens is we don't plan what changes we're going to make. So we get dragged. So if you're in, in a job, your manager will probably push you in some way and you might go along with that. If you're in a marriage, maybe your spouse pushes you towards something and you go along with that. But we're not planning enough. And because we're not planning enough, we're not putting in habits that allow us to actually end up where we want to be. So for me, when I think about the five years forward, I want people to actually say, yeah, in five years, I'm going to be X which is really different to what I am now. And, and it's going to be different because I'm going to love my job more and have more financial security. Um, and these are the small things that I'm going to do in the next five years. And I'm going to show up for myself every week, 90 minutes a week at a minimum to make sure that I head towards to, to, that. I head towards that. So what's the significance of moving from the fast system one to the thinking slower system two? 
So I think in the long run, you you don't want to do that because we spend 80 to 95% of our time in system one for good reason. Being in system two is really, really draining. So you're going to feel quite exhausted if, if, if you constantly want to leverage your conscious mind and you're probably not going to be able to do it. What I want people to do when it comes to their career is to think about what's the big goal that they have and then using system two, sit down and deliberately say, what are the habits that I need to put in place in order to, to get there? And then you consciously make sure that you show up for those habits, maybe for a week, five weeks, depending on who you are, but eventually they're back in your fast brain, in your system one. And I think the important thing as well for the listeners is that they don't think just because you're in your system one, you're making bad decisions and you're doing bad things. Once you have good habits, actually, you're much better off in your system one. Things will, things will happen for you. Um, but system two, people really credit with being the smartest brain. And that's because we are slowed down. We get the closest to weighing up our costs, benefits and the risks. There's a new literature emerging that talks about gut feeling. And that's what happens in system one in the fast brain. And in some situations, like if you're being chased by a bear, your system one will absolutely be the best, the best friend that you could possibly have. So for me, I don't say one is better than the other. I just want people to slow down, use their slow brain to create habits that ultimately set their fast brain up for success. And they become system one habits. They become system yeah. one, yeah. And you forget about them. So, you know, you mentioned kind of going to the gym and it sounds like you go to the gym pretty regularly. For you, that's a no-brainer. There's somebody down the street who's struggling right now about whether or not they will go to the gym on the other side of system two. I didn't want to presume. I didn't want to presume. But yes, yeah, so you can kind of think about, you, if, if we compare our habits, we either set our six up, up for success or failure and to get better habits we do need to slow down and then hopefully we move forward when when you say five years i mean this sounds like a good uh, exercise to do at the yeah. happy new year start off the year and like this is what i'm going to do for the next five years but why five years why not one year and at the same time when it's the new year and everyone's like this year is different new year new me i'm going to go to the gym and then they go to the gym for like two weeks and then they go back to the why what stops people from actually making those changes so it could be one year so depending on what you want to do the, a realistic time frame might be one year but what i want people to say is what is the time frame that i think that will get me there and then maybe add something for like the planning fallacy i think the problem when people pick the very small things like i'm going to go to the gym in January and I'm going to work out until March and I'm going to have a six pack is that to get to that level in three months is just too hard. You said at the start though that it's about enjoyment it's about the journey but yeah. then you're actually talking about delayed gratification and investment in a future self which is actually almost the opposite you know sacrifice of consumption yeah. today for the hope of greater consumption tomorrow. You speak in your book about liking an activity is not binary. So I think to succeed in life, we have to realize that not every single moment of where we're going is going to be enjoyable. So mm. the, the, the think big goal should be getting you to a place where you'll really enjoy the task. So if you set yourself up for success, once you actually reach where you, you're going, you'll get a plateau and maybe you're still increasing, but all of those learnings, all of those learnings will stand to you. So I kind of say to people, maybe just be happy 80 to 20% of the time. So the other 20%, you're not miserable, but you're doing something that you know will pay off in the future. So you shouldn't be putting in yourself in, in, in a situation that's fundamentally bad for you, but maybe you're working on something where you feel out of your comfort zone, you feel uncomfortable. And because of that, it's not that pleasant. Just recognize you're learning something, you're networking with people perhaps who you don't necessarily know how to talk to at the moment, and that will all, that will all get easier. So I think that's the first thing. If you go on a journey of success, you have to realize you're not going to be happy 100% percent of the time there's things that you have to learn and as human beings learning is hard so you're going to 
you're going to feel um, you're going to feel uncomfortable. The second, which I think is also worth people paying attention to, is what do you actually like doing? And it really surprises me when I meet students, both at the undergraduate, masters, and even the executives. When I say to them, you know, like what would you like to kind of be doing? And, and they'll always give me a job title, and I'll kind of say, okay, what what does that job entail? And very often, um, even older students will have a very bad idea about what that that job entails. And then how will you know if you like it? So if you're doing things in a week, it can be kind of cool to say, oh, I enjoy that. I didn't enjoy that. And doing this exercise, I realized actually there's times where, particularly public speaking, I don't know if you've ever um, done public speaking, yeah, but yeah. when you stand in front of a, a group of people and then at the end of it, it's amazing when people come over and ask you questions. But if you do that too many times in the week, you're going to be exhausted because you have to react to every question that these different people have. Um, and you have to be able to answer it in a way that's actually useful for them. And to do a good job of that, I could not do that every single night of the week. You've got the big goal and you set it and you back yourself and you say in five years time I want to be here you break down the steps to get there and you, you take small actions and yep. every day the one bit I want to focus on now is is the time sinkers because for someone like me right I should just spend all my time making videos and then I'll sit there and I'll be on Instagram or I'll check an email or these lot of people that no one can see off camera will be sending me whatsapps and I'll feel compelled to reply <laughs> you call them time sinkers and I think these are the things that really get in the way of people and everyone wants to be more efficient almost with their time. Can you talk about how, how you manage that? I think it's always good to audit your week. So if you're somebody who is listening to the podcast today and is like, I'm not, I'm not being productive. Nothing is going listening my way. To our podcast. <laughs> you no, should be working. The, but the one, no, you shouldn't be. This is actually, because I'm hoping this will make a really good yeah. use of your time. Just look back on the week, look back on the previous week that you had and write down whether or not one, you got enjoyment out of the things that you were doing. Two, whether you were doing something that showed up for your future self, so that, that future person who, who you need to start caring about. Um, or three, was there something that like, you didn't enjoy it at all and you're pretty sure that no one around you, no one around you enjoyed it. And those three things, so basically, am I enjoying it in the moment? Is it something that I'm enjoying in the future? Or are there things that I'm doing that aren't adding any value to me? Those three classifications can really help you because firstly, those things that you're showing up for that aren't adding any value to you, you should try to get rid of them. So, you know, sometimes people will realize I'm in a really terrible relationship. I'm dating someone and every time I show up, I'm terrified to go in, but I'm also terrified to leave. And maybe that's a big decision that you need to make. Others will realize that they're spending time in meetings that just really aren't productive, that they're not sure that it's, it's useful. So maybe you need to do something, maybe you need to do something differently. So how do you have any like practical tips on how people can... Doom scrolling on Instagram, for example, that thing just, it appears in my hand and I'm just there deep in the Insta and I'm yeah. like, how did this even happen? So it's not even, it's almost like non-conscious. I, yeah, yeah. I set an alarm that says like, when you've reached an hour of Instagram every day and like some days it's like 11 o'clock and it's like, you've had one hour. Yeah. I'm like, I've only been away for three hours. <laughs> yeah, I've been I'm away like, five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sometimes that happens. I'm like, I've been away for half an hour. It's like, oh, I must've been using it last night Boy, before problems. bed. <laughs> so like, it's crazy. And I seen this thing online, there's like a box you can put your phone in and lock it. I've got it. one of those. Do you? Yeah. 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 I, I need... smashed it with a hammer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you lock your phone in there and like you yeah. can't access it for like two hours, yeah. but I definitely would just smash yeah. it open. I'd be like, yeah. I need to know what's going on on Instagram. Is there, uh, do you, does, what does the science tell us about breaking that? I mean, in honesty, I think if you can delete the app, you should you should go for it, which is which I can what see you groaning. Like, what if it's your business? It. Yeah. So, no, but, but, but separate them. So if right. you can, if you even if it's an old iPad or an, or, or an old phone, if you can afford to have an old iPhone for your personal and then for your business is the one that you invest in and they're held separately. So you're consciously choosing to, you're constantly choosing to be on Instagram. And I, and I think I think that's the problem. 
doom scrolling, people aren't consciously choosing to be on it. They're basically picking it up and it's the fast brain is making the choice. What you want it to be is that, okay, I now have to go and get this other phone. So now, okay, consciously you're thinking, do I, do I really need to doom scroll on, on Instagram now? Or am I actually going on it where I'm going to enjoy it or it's going to be productive or it's going to be productive for me? But digital detoxes are hard, just like coming off alcohol, drugs or anything else that's addictive, but definitely, definitely worth it. So it's it, the, the point that you've made there is it's putting that little thought in. I know that there's yeah. the app that there's an app where you can input all your, the different apps that you don't like on your phone in it. And every time you go on them, it's like, are you sure you want to go on this? And it just counts yep. down from three. And that just makes you go, oh no, yeah, forget it. So it's it's about putting these breaks in to stop it yeah. being the system one. Is yes. it right? System one is fast, system two is slow. Exactly. So so what we're doing is increasing the cost of going on Instagram. So, so the example of having it on a separate device means that you have to actually go somewhere else, pick it up and make a conscious decision. The um, the app that's telling you, are you sure you want to do this? Again, is increasing, increasing the cost and it's making salient to you. So it's making it very obvious to you the choices that you're making might not necessarily be right you at the moment so both of those and I think that's a really good example that's a really kind of good analogy for any habit that you're trying to change how can I if I want to break a habit how can I make it more costly to do it and also how can I increase the benefits of not doing it on the other side and make the good behaviors easier so you know if you want to go to the gym in the morning and if you're somebody who hates going to the gym having your your trainers and your tracksuit laid out so that there's actually no excuse that as soon as the alarm goes you're not kind of procrastinating, okay, where are my clothes? And you're, and you're fumbling around, you make it as easy as possible to actually get there. If, if the gym, if you're somebody who's lazy, should be very near your house rather than far away. So again, you don't have the cost of the time of getting into the car. All excuses that you'll reach for when you're feeling when you're feeling tired. My gym's close by and I still drive there. It's like, it's like a two minute walk and I'm like, it's cold, I'm driving to the gym. I think I've never walked to the gym ever, to be fair. Probably should just run there, shouldn't I? Yeah, I, I have to have the gym within five minutes, otherwise yeah. I won't go. I had one once that was yeah. half an hour and I I just didn't yeah. never went because then it's like oh it's going to take an hour there and back and an hour there by and, the time I get there yeah, I've all these yeah I've yeah. all these things to do so I think it's also worth kind of thinking about your lazy self so when you're lazy when you're not feeling well when you're feeling tired what are the things that will actually make it much easier easier for that person and also if you can starting the habit when you're feeling bad which sounds counterintuitive because we all wait for the day that we ah, feel that we okay. feel great but you know you're never going to have problems showing up for yourself when you feel great are you it's it's those horrible days so if you kind of say yeah look tomorrow is um tomorrow is a day where I'm, I'm planning on going out with my friends i'm probably going to be slightly hungover that's the day i'm going to go to the gym because my baseline is going to be i show up I for myself when I feel rough. yeah yeah so there's, there's um there's an example like in my world what i do most of the time is i script and I can easily tell myself that I don't feel inspired, that I don't feel creative, that like, you know, to script. Because what I have to do is sit down and just stare at a blank Google Doc and it's just going to come out of me. But I find that if I actually break that and I sit down, I find the, I'm, I then become inspired. Does that yeah. make sense? It's that first thing. It's like the hardest thing is getting to the gym. Once you're there, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's break. It's that little making myself just sit down and open a Google Doc and not clean the house or yeah. whatever. Have you got anything to like help people take that first step? Well, what you describe is really in line with the Pomodoro technique. Have you heard of this? So this is where you can, there's an app for it now, but you used to be able to buy like a tomato. I'm sure you can still buy it. That had a 15 minute timer Uh, and that you sit down to work and you put on the timer. And when the timer goes off, you're meant to stop. You're meant to stop, take a five minute break and walk around. And what people find is that if you're scripting, if you're in the middle of something else, if you're in flow, the brain really hates that. So it's itching to get back. So that 
15 minutes is all you actually need to get you to get you going. So instead of saying, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work for four hours today, you say, I'm just going to do 15 minutes and see and see where it goes. And usually if you manage to make a start, if you manage to make a, a write a few lines, the brain will bring you back because it will want to finish that section. It's very hard if you're a writer, if you script, if you write songs, if you're creative to stop when something is, um, is, is half done. It's the done. best feeling in yeah. the world, that flow. And like, it is, it is. Yeah, like once it's like coming out, of, like just pours out of you. But like you say, it's, you got to get to there and it takes yep. five, 10 minutes. So rather than thinking, I'm going to script for half a day now, you think I'm just going to do a script for five, 10 minutes yeah, or, and see where it goes. And you leave the time. So you don't fill the time. So you basically say, look, I have a day free today. So I'm going to start my day with 15 minutes. I'm going to put on my timer and I'm going to get straight in and I'm going to give myself a chance. And then timer goes off, you take your break and you make a decision about whether whether or not you stay. Because one thing that I tend to do is put it off, put it off. And then it's so, the deadline, my own enforced deadline that doesn't exist is approaching. So then it's like, I've got to do it all now in six hours. And yeah. it's, it's not the best work as a result. I think as a plan, people can leverage what we call the compromise effect, where you don't say, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do a, do a full day's work, and I'm going to commit myself to doing nine hours, even though you know that you've never done nine hours I before. I do that every day and I've never done nine hours. But, you, but you say there's three levels of work. There's nine hours, which is the maximum. There's four, which will put me at average. And there's 15 minutes that will put me at low. And actually, once I do one of those, I'm happy with myself. And you, you tick that off. Um, and most people will end up hitting average. Most people will end up hitting the four hours in flow with that with that model. Because again, if you think about how you train your brain, none of us actually want to be below average. So once we hit average, we're happy to kind of, to walk away and say day done. Okay. And do you find that with a big goal in mind that being average and consistent will get you there? I do. I do. I mean, we've already mentioned that you just need to be slightly better than um, what, what everyone else is doing. And, you know, the good thing about if you're creating something is you just need to be slightly different as well. So most, all of us are unique. So hopefully you can actually leverage that uniqueness to bring something new. But the one thing that people don't do is show up consistently. So if you're one of the people who's showing up consistently, if you're creating consistently, if you're learning something consistently, you will get to where you want to be. You just can't break that consistency. Can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my YouTube channel? It's that the most important investment you can make is in you. So for me, my path to real wealth isn't through investing, it's by building this business. And that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers and side hustlers with their websites. My favourite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences and the AI creates a beautiful looking website just like magic. You can then customise it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user friendly and of course what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting in a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. And if you use the code making money, that's making money all one word, you'll get 10% off. And I've left a link in the description for you. Before I became a creator, I was a sales guy. I mean, I love selling. It's how I rebuilt my life after some wrong turns in my 20s. I also delivered Chinese takeaways on the side, but that was more fun money so I could go out on a night without feeling guilty. Sales was where the real money was at. And one tool that I found really useful was LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's a sales intelligence platform that helps you identify and then get into conversations with high value customers so you can drive more revenue. 
You can use it to look for key signals like recent job changes. So you can find buyers who are most likely to convert. And because they've got a billion people on the platform, I mean, the chances are your targets are going to be on LinkedIn. Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data so you can get into conversations with the people that matter. So if you want to give Sales Navigator a try, you can get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash upsell. That's linkedin.com slash U-P-S-E-L-L for a 60-day free trial. The next thing I want to talk about then and the run up to that is the planning, the planning fallacy. It happens every time we all do it. Um, the planning fallacy. So yeah. you, you speak about this and I think this is the other end of what we're saying. Me like being scared to start. It's like another way of putting off starting in a way. Yeah. I mean, so if you, so we're in London today. So if you drive around London, there's loads of roadworks. And, and if you did a, if you did a survey, I'm willing to bet you they're all overrunning or they will all overrun when they get to their, when they get to their end. And, and that's what the planning fallacy is. Um, as human beings, there's kind of two things that go into our planning, the cost and the time it will take. And when it comes to governments, they're really bad at, at thinking about what the cost is going to be and really bad at the time. Individuals get the cost right. So we're good at estimating this is how much it's going to cost us in, in terms of pounds, but we're really bad in, in, in terms of time. So what that means is that if you decide that you want to write a book today and you say, I'm going to leave six months, it's probably not going to be six months because you're going to procrastinate. Things are going to get in the way. You're not going to show up for yourself. Um, so how can you change that? Well, you can kind of think about adjusting the time to take into account the planning fallacy. You might know what your own factor is. The literature says it's about one and a half. I'm twice the time. So if I told you who would take six months, it would take a year. I, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm below average on, on performance and planning fallacy. But if you actually monitor yourself and say, something's going to take me a week and then realize it takes you two weeks, it allows you to actually be really honest with yourself. And one thing that we know about people when they run over time is that they're much more likely to quit. So getting this right is really important, I think, when you're when you're planning for a, a think big goal. So what you want to do is come up with a time that's going to take you there. Give yourself some buffer time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, if you want to be like Grace, double it. Time and a half is the average human. So you're probably somewhere in between, in between the two. But yes, give yourself more time. But then how do we stop ourselves? Like I work to deadlines and I do 90% of the work 24 hours before the deadline. I know you're the same. Oh, definitely. I went to uni with you. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's just served me well during life. Yeah, well, that's it. It's got so bad when that the whenever on. we have lunch, like Sunday lunch with my family, my mom's like, yeah, lunch is at one and I'll turn up at like 1.30. She's like, it was actually at one thirty, but I knew you would be late. So yeah, yeah we should probably incorporate that into the podcast yeah, yeah. so if you are you married no okay so when you get married you're going to be the one who's late to the altar probably yeah. well <laughs> true, true, true story true story we, we were at the um his son got i can uh, see you saying which stories yeah, yeah, like, there's so many because i was late to a wedding and the bride was outside at the church door and she gave me the biggest death there and i'm like i'm so sorry let me just squeeze past you who starts weddings on time English people apparently. Yeah. No, Julian start like three hours late. Yeah. So yeah, I was not ready. He was late to his son's baptism. Well, like to the, the sort of warm up and the the, 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 pre session. the priest vicar. The priest. The priest was like, "You best not be late tomorrow." And I was like, "He's <laughs> going to be late." It's the only time you've never been late. Yeah. It's for your son, like no, I said, yeah. changed you. That's true. Actually, late for yeah. everyone else. Don't give a crap. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, how do we then? St if we allocate fifty percent more time, how do the, we then make sure that we don't just not work leading up to that 
I think that the kind of micro goals within the big goals come into this. So writing a book is a really good example. So you probably have like 10 chapters, 20 chapters. So the goal should be around the one chapter. So the smaller the thing that you're doing, the more accurate you're going to get at planning. So if you can break down this big task into lots of lots of different small chunks, and if you do that kind of within like a three month rolling window, it does actually set you up for success. It's when you try to plan something that's really, really long that we get it grossly wrong. Small things will do better. Can you give us an example of like how you would break apart a task into like a goal into small things? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was writing Think Big, the the first thing was like the chapters. So how many chapters there were. And when when the, when, a, when the publisher takes you on, you've already written down the outlines. This, this is what I've promised for them. And then what I would do is I would say, I have to write a, what I call a chunk. Um, I have to write a chunk in a particular morning, which means that I write the, the headings just of all the different, the different sections and a few words underneath that will actually guide me. And for me, I'll have lots of different goals of that size. So I write the chunks for chapter one to 10. So that's 10 different mini goals. And then each chunk of text that you see within within Think Big, that I can say that's going to take me two hours. So I need to sit down and kind of write the very first bad draft of that in two hours. And it allows me to schedule my writing in a way in these kind of very micro chunks that keeps me moving forward. And what happens then is that some days I just don't show up for the micro goal. So everything moves forward a bit. But because I've left some buffer time at the end, it doesn't actually actually collapse the goal for the publisher. Nice. Um, so for you, I think the tactic of everyone telling you that everything is is a half an hour um, <laughs> is a half an hour late, um, earlier or later than it is is actually is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You, until you realise it, and then you just start showing up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm bad at this. So at the start of the year, I'm like, these are what I want to achieve this year. I want to make ninety videos, blah blah blah. And yeah. now halfway through the year, I've made like thirty videos, and I just everything I do is a failure. Then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm just beating myself up all year, basically. I mean, I, I, I wonder about New Year's resolutions because I think something like 85% of people fail on their New Year's resolutions. Yeah. It's, a really, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really large number. And I think that might give us permission to fail. So if we're all failing, then no one's a failure, right? So in some ways, maybe starting at a different time of the year, like starting in two weeks off of January is, is, is the right time or starting in February. Just before. Yeah, yeah. Or, start, or, or, or starting just before. So you're not in the starting blocks with everyone else. So you're not really paying attention to who's actually failing around you. But then I think the other thing is that you do need to commit to once a month, just asking your, um, sitting down and saying, what did I give time to this month? What did I give attention to? And am I actually doing things that will serve me in the future? And I think if the answer is no, that you just left January go or you just left February go and you didn't do anything that invests in you in, in your future self, be honest with yourself about that. Just say, okay, I'm not investing, I'm not investing, and that's going to have consequences. And then once people kind of make that salient, once they make it, make it obvious to themselves, it does change their patterns of behavior and they start showing up again. So you talk about, I want to bring it back to the, the big goal because I want someone who sat at home after this to be inspired and to go away with like a, a bit of a roadmap to go in. Yeah. You know, I want to change the world and this is how I'm going to do it. We know that there's the setting the goal. There's six other stages. Well, the six stages total, sorry. So there's five others. Is that right? So yeah, so you're, you're spot on. So once you have your, your once you've thought big and you have your think big, uh, think big goal, there's time then spent thinking about what are the small things that you need to do in order to get so there. So that's the steps. They're the steps. Yeah. And this is what we're talking about that you should actually plan. So don't plan time around the big goal because you're probably going to get it hopelessly wrong ha have an estimate of, of of years but these small things that will chunk actually that, that will get you there that will allow you to chunk it up but then you know one of the things that um, I think th where Think Big is different it's really honest and says even though you've done all that work it's January it's the new year we're, we're all kind of doing doing that work 
the chances of you sticking are really are really small. So what you need to do then is think about what are the things that will actually stand in your way. Well, one is time, which we've already covered, is time sinkers. So really making sure that what you're spending your time and what you're giving your attention to gives you benefits in the future. Um, maybe you have that means that you have to take away some of this instant gratification that you're getting now, but you definitely should eliminate things that are making you miserable. And then I followed that with a chapter that's called um, Inside. And these are the kind of the, the biases that are inside inside myself that are going to hold me back. And, you know, you can think about confirmation bias as being one of them. Um, as individuals, we love to be told that we're right and we seek out people who have the same views as us. And you can just go on X now or you can go on any other social media platform and you can see that groups of communities tend to find each other who think the same and very rarely talk Echo to each chambers. other. Yeah. But we're seeing what negative things that's doing in society. Right, because people aren't talking to each other and nothing is being they resolved. They see it through their eyes. And exactly, everyone, they think everyone believes what they believe. Exactly, and that's a different podcast. But we do this to us as an individuals. We seek out people who we like, who we feel comfortable with, and we very rarely seek out people who actually will disagree with us, give us critical feedback. And one, one, one thing that I say, and this confirmation bias is one of the ones that, that I tackle and think big is the best gift you can give yourself is to find people who are diverse with respect to perspective and background, who you can talk to them about a problem that you're having or a block that you've actually uh, fixed and get their advice. And if you have enough diversity in that group, you're going to get some pretty good advice because you're going to get it from different angles. Um, but also the benefit of that is that that group, because they're diverse, will see different opportunities for you. So they'll help you move ahead and they'll help you move ahead faster. So so when you read the inside chapter, what you can expect is for me to point out the biases that are most likely holding you back, but also give a solution. And I also ask you to experiment with the solution and see if it works for you. Because the one way that I can get you to stick to some of the recommendations that I give is not by telling you them. I mean, why would you listen? Why would you listen to me? I'm one person, one voice, but by seeing that they work for you. So seeing this feedback that it's actually working. Um, then the hardest chapter for me to write was outside. So what do you do if you face biases that are kind of outside yourself? So people who are prejudiced. And I talk about those type of uh, things that people will um, face. So how they can actually put themselves in a situation and set them up for success. But I also talk about biases that people face just because of randomness. So we never think about it, but if you show up for an interview or if you show up to pitch for venture funding, there's certain times of the day that are better for you to actually talk to people. You definitely don't want people to be hungry. And, you know, if you don't believe me on that, there's really good evidence on judges in the United yeah, States that show this. that you get this, you get much longer sentences if you show up for a hungry judge. So you can't give the judge a sandwich, but maybe you can think about ways in which to, to feed the people who are, who are in front of you. Um, and, I, and I also talk about days of the week in which you, it, it's better for you to ask for a pay rise or to pitch for funding. And again, it might seem quite random, but human beings have different moods that are that are kind of predictable across the week. So you want to be standing, sitting in front what, of your boss. What's the worst day to ask for a raise? Friday. Friday. Is it? Yes. Friday? Surely not. Very yeah, easy. You want to go have fun. Yeah. It's very easy to say no as a boss on Friday. I don't have to see you tomorrow. You need to make it as hard as possible for them. So to Monday, morning, yes. Monday morning, Monday morning, 9 a.m. I'll, be back, at, I'll be back at 12 o'clock to see if you've got my contract sorted. I will be here all week looking at you. So. Yeah, because no Typing one, on your computer just staring at people them. People don't want to say no. People don't mm. want to say no. And the biggest mistake we make as human beings is not asking again. So if you ask me for something today and if for some reason I brought myself to say no, bearing in mind that we all want to be seen as nice people, you coming back again and asking me for something else, something similar in two weeks, kind of three weeks time, slightly different framing, I'm much more likely to say yes. But people don't do that because of ego. 
So if you, if you tell me no, I'm probably not going to come back because of ego. Whereas the best sales people will know, give a break, come back with something slightly different. And then the person is more, more, much more likely to say You said no yes. to me three times. You need to say yes now. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's how people kind of say, you know. And I guess that's what I try to do. I like, I like the idea for the readers of being very honest with them about what happens if you do face bias and prejudice, but also being honest with the readers that there are actually ways you can tip the odds in your favor that are completely random, that are down to emotions and, and putting that evidence out there for them for them to try to try themselves um, and then I talk about the environment so we've already talked about digital detoxing and so I give people strategies to digitally detox but also about the environment that we surround ourselves with so certain colors bring creativity certain colors make you feel um, more powerful so thinking about the colors that you actually put around your environment what's um, a powerful color Red. That's that's my favorite color, but I thought McDonald's have like loads of red and orange to make people leave their shops more quickly. Get out. Is that true? Yeah, they why do they want that's you to it's leave? All red, Cause like, you know, in nature, like red is, red is like danger. And like, yeah, so it's meant to make you just want to leave much. So you get in, buy your stuff and then you don't hang around in McDonald's all day, you get out. So that's oh. why it's like all red inside apparently. But if it's a powerful color, uh, yeah, I know I'll be it, wearing a red t-shirt on my next podcast. It's linked to power. And also the people who you put up around you. So, you know, there's evidence to show, for example, for German women seeing Angela Merkel in a picture is, is going to make them feel less like imposters and much more, much more powerful. So figuring out what works for you in the environment can be really kind of cool ways to get productive. Airflow matters a lot. So whether or not you actually have air, air circulating in the room, the lighting matters. So if you ever find yourself um, in a police station, there's a reason that they dim the lights as a way to get you to tell the truth. Um, but it also makes you more creative. So it's good for the criminal because they can come up with kind of uh, <laughs> better, uh, better lies to tell. If you really want to concentrate, having those having those sharp lights or um, very bright lights is, is, is something to, to consider. But like all of Think Big, I don't believe that one thing will work for one person. Mm. So I think we're all different human beings. Red might make you feel more powerful and maybe for you it's, it's purple. And you'll only know that if you actually start, um, if, you, if you actually start experimenting. And the last thing is resilience. The one thing I'll say about resilience is, I do think often when we talk about success, we focus on the journey and the steps and, how, and kind of how, how to move people towards goals. But we never talk about these kind of human skills that make us much more likely to get there. And resilience and grit are the skills that people should actually focus on if they want to sustain the you journey. You talk about it almost like it's like a, a cup that's full and you deplete your resilience over yes. a day. All of us have a certain level of resilience. And some of us are, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure some of us are born with, with more as compared to less, but it's, it's easy to top up your cup if you go purpose, if, if you think purposefully. And it's easy to avoid depletion if you also um, are quite conscious about where you, put your, where you put your time. So in the resilience chapter, I talk about ways in which you can, have depletion so the two of you comparing yourselves to each other will be a really bad way for you to feel good about yourself and, and to feel resilient but comparing yourself to your past self um, and then making sure that your future self does more is a really good way to think about um, moving forward in the think big journey and a lot of the things that I'm asking people to do aren't time consuming um, they're just kind of tricks in how we actually see the world and how we see ourselves that would allow you to go through it with just more resilience so you talk about you know is it the end of the world? And like, is this something I can kind of recover from quickly yes. or, or whatever? You know, you framing it, you frame it with, could you explain actually the three ways that you, when something bad happens to you or there's a situation that comes? Yeah, so I think it's good to look back over the weekend, the kind of negative things that happen and think about, I got over it straight away. 
Um, it took me a moment, but I managed to get over it relatively quickly. Or actually, I was still worried about it weeks later. And I like to do this exercise for people who say that they're not resilient. Um, firstly, so we can kind of get a baseline of whether or not they actually are, are not resilient. But it shouldn't be that you take weeks to get over things that really don't matter. Um, you know, so if you can imagine yourself interacting with people and somebody isn't that nice to you, it's probably their problem rather than yours. But when you're in that situation, it's very easy to internalize that, take it on. So it becomes it becomes your problem. I don't think this means that you should be treated badly in life. But I think if it's somebody who you meet for a, a moment who don't have any um, say in where you're going in the future, shrudging it off is much better for you and you leave them with all the negativity that they're carrying around. Um, it's the same, you know, if you don't get promoted, which is a really big thing, or if you don't get um, um, if you if you don't get venture to back your business, it can be really negative in the moment. But then you could say, okay, what can I actually learn from this? I'm not going to dwell on it, and I'm going to actually move on. And there's really good evidence to suggest that people who are really self-aware, recognize what actually gets them angry, recognize what gets them sad, recognize what gets them upset and are able to kind of rationally say, okay, should I really be upset in this moment? Is, is this person worth it? Is the area of life actually worth it? If they can shrudge it off and learn from that and kind of move on from it, they're much more resilient as compared to people who can't. So the example that happened to me, I make a video and I, d I make a stupid mistake in the video whereby I was using a bottle of prime as an example for a price point on something, which is like a drink that my lads love. And I made an ex a remark about how expensive it was. And on screen, I showed a bottle and actually it was a pack of 12, okay. not a one. So my point was that I got it wrong, but you know, in my head, so 75,000 people watched that in like six hours. In my head, I'm like, oh my God, the whole country hates me. <laughs> like, they all think I'm an idiot. But no, no, seriously, like it speaks to yeah, my, yeah, yeah. my credibility of someone. I talk about numbers and I can't even figure out that it was a 12 pack and not a one. Yeah, I'm still thinking about it now. And I carry every mistake I've ever made on the channel in my head. And it builds and builds and builds to the point where there's almost a crippling anxiety around posting in case I make a mistake. Yeah. I don't know how to get past that. Oh, it, it sounds holds like, me back. It sounds like perfectionism. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It just sounds yeah. like you have perfectionist tendencies. I mean, there's really good evidence to show that perfectionism is much worse for productivity than people not showing up, yeah, showing up, showing up late because of what you just, just described. Post people, videos, yeah. people, people get stuck. So I think really you have to, you have to work on that, which is going to be hard, but thinking about any mistake that you made, can I learn from it? Is there a moment for me to be open with your listeners, which you are, I mean, you're talking about it today on, on, on the podcast, which is, which is, which is, which is vulnerable. And then you, you move on. And what you'll find is, if you're thinking about the mistake in your mind, you just need to say to your brain, tell me another story, tell me another story, tell me another story, something else. How wanna, about this time I when you did <laughs> Yeah, no, I, no, I wanna yeah. focus on something else because yeah. I think all of us think that our brain is giving us feedback that really is rational and considered and it, it are things that we should actually notice, but it isn't. I know it's It's not. been conditioned for Desirable. our life. So you need to recondition yeah. your brain that when you make a mistake, you say, okay, yeah, um, I made a mistake. Um, now, what am I gonna do about it? Well, I'm gonna own up to it. I'm gonna learn from it and I'm gonna move on. And if there's four people out of the 75,000 people who are going to write negative comments, then that's them. They're carrying around negativity in life. And that's not me. And when you are dealing with money and when you are investing money, you will make mistakes. And when you are on a journey and trying to like um, move yourself forward, you will make mistakes. And it's, you say about, you know, in your book, it's our fear of failure or embarrassment yeah. that prevents us. And it's like, when you actually get confirmation of that, 
you know, it, it, it can almost put you off ever doing it again, if that but makes sense. But you need to look for, so, so you, let, let, you're, you're basically like your audience of 75,000 people and you're picking out the four moments where things are going wrong. You have confirmation that you, you make mistakes. You're a human being. You know, that's, that, 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 that's life. But all of the other times you didn't make mistakes, start calling them into your mind. So I saying like, what about, what, what about that moment in the podcast where I smashed it that everybody loved? What about something that I said that actually will really help people, yeah. people when they're older? And disconfirming evidence for perfectionism is a tactic that works. So when you're kind of beating yourself up over, over, over mistakes, it also works for imposter syndrome. So I have a lot of that. For oh, people yeah. who How do there, you get past imposter syndrome? <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of people have that, have that problem. I think so. For, so I always say with imposter syndrome because I've asked about it all the time. If you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, you probably are a narcissist. So to be in a room where you are sitting in, in in a room full of people where they know different things to you, they know more than you perhaps, and you actually say, "Yeah, these these people are worth me spending my time with." It's really normal to feel like an imposter, and actually seeking out places where you feel like an imposter is a great way to grow. Sitting in rooms, you know, I, I and I often say one of the biggest keys to my success is being able to sit in rooms with people who know way more than me about topics that I've never studied. And I, I just say, look, I, I don't understand it. Can you explain it in a way that I that I understand over, over and over again? And that really, really helps you. Um, yeah, that really helps you grow as a person. So I think if you suffer from imposter syndrome, there's kind of two things that the evidence say do. One we've just discussed, which is look for disconfirming evidence. So if you're sitting in a place where you really feel like you don't belong, that you can't deliver in the way that other people in the room are saying, actually, I've done this, you know, 10 times before. And what are they? And then your brain will start telling you the one time that you messed up and you say, no, I don't want to hear that now. I want to hear the other the other times. Let's, let, let, let's run through them. Some people find it a good idea to write these things down so that when they are in that situation, situation that they can call on them. But for me, what I think works even better is having a buddy who knows that you have imposter syndrome, perhaps they have imposter syndrome as well. And you actually do that for each other. So, you know, I could call you and you would say, look, Grace, these are the 10 times where you actually did, did this well. You've got this today. And I think what's really cool about literature on belief and overcoming imposter syndrome is that it doesn't matter whether it's you who goes to battle with yourself, which is really hard, or whether you have a friend who you really trust, who's the one who gives you the belief, that can actually push you forward. And that's why when we talk to kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, often they'll say, my mom really wanted me to do it. My dad really wanted me to do it. My teacher did, and they really supported me. Even when I didn't believe in myself, their belief is what pushed you, pushed you through. So if you want to be successful, we've talked about networks, you should also have this kind of tight group of friends or or your spouse or your parents who really believe in you and will pull you up when you're not believing in yourself. You spoke about a professor that that was the opposite of that to you. Yes. That kind of <laughs> yeah. almost derailed you before you even began. It's funny because I think even when you're aware of biases, you always fall into them, into them, into them yourselves. But yes, even though you're like a scientist on that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you do, you just don't realize it's happening to you because it's like getting boiled by a crab. You know, if somebody is 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 kind of negative towards you, they'll never usually be really negative as soon as they meet you. It will take it will take some time. But yes, no. When I when I joined LSE, one of um, my mentors at the time, and we got on incredibly well, which makes the story much more um, much more unusual really, really um, kind of planted seeds of kind of negativity that I wasn't necessarily doing so well. And actually came out and compared me to another gentleman who was working at the LSE and said, you know, he's somebody who's going to go um, incredibly fast and you're not. And what was what I really hate about that is I, I really internalized it. And, and because of that, I started kind of messing up maybe a bit more, doing less, not showing up for myself. 
And I, it was kind of one day when I spoke to some other people, three actually, this is kind of my rule of three, that when what, what you really want to do is get, and this helps you remove no, um, get the signal from the noise, I guess, in what, in, what, in what people say, but talk to a few people to get feedback and say, do you kind of recognize me in that? And they said no, that I started kind of upping upping my game again, which is which is really depressing. Now I work on myself so that when people are negative towards me, I don't internalize it as much and that I can actually keep going. But then it really it really got me down. And then what was interesting when I compare myself to that gentleman, which I continue to do, which was really, which is a really bad thing to do. I ended up moving faster than him kind of through the, through the rungs in the end, which showed that this professor who I call negativity in the book, professor negativity was wrong. But for me, that's a lesson of who do you surround yourself with? Are they people who push you forward or kind of pull you back? And I think maybe you can't cut out the people who are pulling you back, but definitely managing them is really important because you'd be surprised if you're someone who you look up to, like my professor, negativity, somebody in your family who you really care about, who might not necessarily want you to succeed to the level that you might want to succeed or other people who are role models to you can really get under your skin and, and, and affect your actions. And you might not even realize it's happening. I've never considered calling up a mate and being like, how do you view me? Like I think you should. <laughs> like an, like an emotional yeah. melt. No, but you should. Get it together, yeah, mate. Yeah. Sort it out. Stop complaining who are about. Who I recognise this guy complaining about prime prime drinks on his YouTube channel, <laughs> mate. You've got one of the biggest YouTube channels in the country. Stop being a melt. This um, is the coolest <laughs> exercise you can do, though. You can email people who know you well and say, "Look, I really want to like change some things for this new year. Can you give me three things that you think I do really well?" And three things that you think that I should work on. And, you know, it will pinch you if you have mates who are honest with you um, and kind of take it seriously. It will pinch you if people say things that maybe you Stop thought you were good late. at. Maybe that's it. Show Stop up on time. <laughs> Stop being late. Everyone <laughs> say is, that's all three of them. All the producers look at me like, yeah, T, stop being late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you talk to yourself ever? Do you give yourself like words of affirmation? I asked because in like, bar I played basketball for like my whole life and I played in the university teams and times when we've lost in the final and I haven't had a good game, like I really take it to heart and then I, I don't want to talk to anyone. I get home, my partner's like, what's wrong? I'm like, we lost, don't talk to me for like three days. And then until I get on the court again, I, f I carry it with me. Like I'm like, oh, you need I a good game to prove yeah, yourself. I need a good game yeah, to prove yeah. So now, like sometimes it helps my, like you said, support my teammates might be like, oh, look, dude, get at halftime. They're like, dude, get your head in the game, man. Come on, you're better than this. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm better than this. But sometimes I just trash talk and I'm like, I'm, I score and I'm like, I'm that guy. I'm amazing. I'm the best. Yeah, yeah. So like, do you talk to yourself and be like, I'm the best. I can do this. Well, I go to start because if that works for you, then I, I am. I'm going to go home and say, yeah, I'm, I'm the, best. Yourself you're the best. But yeah, no, I do. I do like mantras. So I think if things aren't, if things aren't working out, I write them on post-its and kind of, and, and stick them up, which again is another way saying them is, is, is another way that has, has has kind of been linked to getting people to getting people to move move forward. I think when things aren't going well, I like this two shall pass, which I think is quite a nice. The what? Uh, this this two shall pass. Yeah, oh, I thought you were speaking French. <laughs> I thought I thought uh, two shall two shall pass. I didn't know that word. This two shall pass. Yeah, because I, get it. I, I think we get, I think I think when negative things are happening, two things happen. First, we get really stuck in them, and it takes all our attention. And we've already focused about our attention should be on um, things, but we also think that they're going to last forever so I think when if I'm going through something and, and it's negative I'll kind of say yeah this is going to this is going to pass over and in the meantime there's all these other positive things that are happening in my life so usually in the situation that you describe if something negative happens um along with having some mantras that might help me I think okay what can I actually control in this situation and I just try to let the let the rest go um and then and, and not not necessarily worry about it okay so 
prime gate as we're calling it now the biggest the biggest event of my life um i was really struggling with that and then my missus messaged me and goes that movie that you watched showed the boys the other day was a 15 and i was like oh god i was like leave me alone I got, my resilience cup is empty leave me alone and i was listening to your audiobook and you were like just go to sleep basically because it you know you were like you go to sleep and you think about it with a fresh eyes and it's that thing yeah, of like, I think you should go to bed and wake up and then it's like, you've got a whole new cup of resilience. And if it helps you, I watched loads of 15 movies when I was a kid and I turned out fine. <laughs> yeah, so it, there you, go. you know, it's not, I mean, think about yeah. how bad, it, how bad are the what, consequences? What movie was it? It was a horror movie. Right? Oh, well done. What one? It's called like, um, stories to tell in the dark or something. Oh, I haven't seen and that. And I found it on like a list of like movies for kids. And I was sitting there, I was like, holy shit, this is terrifying. <laughs> and then we all sat there like, ah! And I was like, it's a kid's movie, it's fine. And then she looked it up and she was like, yeah, it's a hard 15. Whoops. I heard of it. <laughs> it is character building. Yeah, right. Build that resilience. Exactly. Yeah, go to bed, <laughs> sit on that. Go cry yourself to sleep, yeah, exactly. tomorrow's a new day. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, but no, so one thing, okay. I was having a conversation with a, a previous guest the other day, actually, Timothy Amu, who was like, he, he journals a lot and he, he, he showed a journal from when he was first starting about, and he was like, I'm at that place now that I said I wanted to be then. Yeah. And he just shared that moment. And I was thinking two years ago, Damien would say he wanted to be right here doing this. But in this moment, I don't feel like that. How do we know when we've got to our goals? So I think if you can do that, it's an amazing way to live your life. I I'm, I just don't have the patience no. for journaling. And I, and I say that in the book. I, I, I wish I had that record of, of things that I've done. I think in the absence of that, just writing down public speaking is, is a goal for me and making sure that you acknowledge it when it comes. Because I think the problem for us as human beings is that when we set off on a, on a, a journey, if we don't define our goals well, we never celebrate them. And actually, even if we define them, we're quite bad for celebrating them because we've updated ourselves by the time we, we actually realize that goal. And that's really bad for, for, for mental health and it's really bad for happiness, that you're achieving things that you really wanted to achieve, that you strove for, and you're not necessarily pausing to celebrate them. I'm awful for that. But you should. I'm like, next goal, 100K but subs, you, dash the plaque, go. But, like. but, but, but it will motivate you to actually stop, pause and yeah. say, look what Damien did in the last five years. And now he's going to do exactly the same amount and perhaps a bit more because he's learned a lot of lessons in the previous, the previous five years. So for me, if you can't bring yourself to journal, which I think is the best thing to do, I'm putting in the details, writing down the things that you're aiming for and making sure that you celebrate them when you get there and celebrate them big with people, but also yourself. Just sit down and go, wow, I actually, I, I did well. I, I, I said I would do something. I went on the journey and I actually managed to accomplish it. Yeah, it's funny you said the plaques on your YouTube views because I remember when he first started and he got like a little plaque which said, congratulations, you have like 10,000 subscribers, whatever. And then he said, one day if I get like 100,000 subscribers, they're going to send me like a gold plaque. Or I can't remember Silver. what it was. Silver plaque. Actually, and then he, he's- Do they actually send you a physical plaque? A physical, yeah. oh, I beautiful. love that. Yeah. And then it happened and he didn't even make a big deal about it. I'm like, we should be going to Vegas to celebrate this. Like, I remember three <gasps> years ago, he was like, one day I'm going to get this plaque. And I, I actually got made a piece of paper that said, because when I was like starting, my missus was like, She's like big on manifestation. And I'm just like, no, nah, just, you know, get out of my way, let me work. And she was like, write on a piece of paper that you're going to get 100,000 subscribers and stick it on the wall. And I did that and I stuck it on the wall. And then every day I walked in and I was just, it was just like a foregone conclusion at that point. It was going to happen. Yeah. Like I knew it was going to happen from the moment I started the channel. And I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not the kind of guy that's like, I'm going to smash this, I'm going to smash that. I have a lot of doubt. Then, I replaced that piece of paper with the silver plaque and it's there. And I walk in, I'm like, what the fuck's going on today? Then? What do I do today? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, where but, do I go? But there is a gold. 
Yeah, there is a gold, a million, yeah. So the, the, the you know, the Olymp there's really good evidence about the Olympics, the bronze, the silver and the gold, that the bronze and the gold are equally happy. So they're, when they're standing on the podium and they actually take happiness over all of these oh, athletes, so but the silver are the most miserable. That makes sense. And they reckon that the silver is the most miserable because they're looking at the gold saying that they lost out, whereas the bronze, like, the distance to gold got, is too far and they're actually not... And it's like, I, at least I got, on the, I got on the yeah, podium. Yeah, so maybe that's, medal, maybe, yeah. That's, maybe that's and what's it's going a bit, on. It's a big jump, 100 to a million, because it's 10 times and it's like... Yeah. And it and when you're like a, a UK finance channel, that's a big that's a big leap, you know. Yeah, and, but, you'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Probably. And now we go to Vegas. Yeah. Okay, good man. Yeah. I feel you. Like it's official. That's written in stone. We're going to Vegas. I feel like you should go to like Atlantic City for, for silver though. You should do something. Atlantic City? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah, I mean, it was ages ago now. And and I think I thought in my head that when I got to 100K, I'd be a made man. Like I'd be set. And then I got there and I was like, oh, I still have all the same problems and I'm not that rich. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I was, in my head, I hadn't framed what it meant. I just thought, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100K. You think it's the, yeah. I thought, oh, I'm gonna be, I'll be driving it's a Lambo. It's a huge, it's a huge accomplishment. So you yeah. should absolutely, absolutely celebrate it. But but it's common that as we go along with our goals, we realize them and we update what we want to do. So then you want more. You might get a more expensive lifestyle, so you want more more money in order to finance it, so it doesn't feel like enough. And I think pausing and actually um, kind of celebrating is a really nice thing to do. But do please do celebrate. Is I, that I think I think it's most important. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. You're on, you're on you're on a treadmill. Come yeah. off for a second and then and then get back on. Is it too late to celebrate the silver plastic? Six months down the line. No, yeah. definitely not. No, you should go. Definitely yeah. not Vegas. Atlantic City. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas. Or Reno. I feel that it should be a step down and then Vegas is the... Vegas would break me. <laughs> financially and emotionally. Do a video on why not to go to Vegas yeah, for loads yeah. of money because it's a bad investment. It's all gone, guys. <laughs> Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. If you missed anything in that episode, don't worry. We do a really good summary of everything that's gone on and what we discussed in our newsletter. You can sign up using the link in the description. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It really makes a difference and lets us know what we're doing right. This is not financial advice. The reason it's not financial advice is because it's not tailored to you. Like we say a lot on the podcast, investments can fall and rise. In fact, this is almost a guarantee. Remember, past performance is no guarantee of future results, so your money is always at risk with investing. Also, remember other fees may apply. I'm Damo. I'm T. This episode was recorded by Jack Hobbs. It was produced and edited by Ruth Edwards. Johnny Hunter is in charge of all our marketing, and it's all brought together by Will Stolomon. 